This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, good morning and welcome to The Garden Show. I'm Frank Proctor, the sous chef of the garden, all set to welcome our master gardener, Charlie Dobbin. Hi, Charlie. Hey, Frankie. I'm happy to be with you again here on Zoomer Radio. How you doing? Hey, great. Thank you very much. Uh, you know, last time we chatted, you were off to Alliston to start taping the TV show Healing Gardens. How did that go? Well, it actually turned out to be quite a bit of fun. And believe it or not, I even learned some stuff. We were at Larry <laughs> Tebow's farm, and um, I got to put on a whole bee suit and open up a couple of his hives to see how the bees were doing. Uh, wow. Believe it or not, we ate traditional weeds like dandelions and lamb's quarters for lunch, not to mention farm fresh eggs almost hard-boiled. Gary is someone who prides himself on leading a sustainable lifestyle. He actually claims that he is 90% sustainable for all his and his family's food needs. So it's a pretty cool place. It's called Hummingbird Hollow in Terranova. And I think folks could probably look that up on the web and, and investigate that a bit, huh? Not sure if there's much on the web yet. Um, I've been posting a few things, or my daughter, my social media manager, has been uh, starting to post some stuff on Instagram. So it's it's not top secret, but we are just in the beginning process of producing 10 episodes. You know, I've done a little bit of work in front of the camera myself, so I know there's a lot of hurry up and wait involved. Is that true? <laughs> Absolutely true. But but the crew is a pretty fun gang. Uh, and I've never shot a TV show with not just one or two cameras, but three cameras plus a drone with a camera. So that meant we didn't have to keep redoing bits at different angles for the camera. Wow, that's really handy. And when and where can folks get to see you? Well, I'm I'm thinking the series is likely going to be called Healing Gardens, and there are uh, 10 episodes that will be available on Vision TV sometime in the future. I'm thinking probably spring 2021. Okay. Now, as you know, Charlie, we spent uh, two days in Waterloo visiting my sister and brother-in-law, Ron and Sue Shane, and they've got a lovely backyard complete with pool, but unfortunately the weather didn't cooperate. Too darn chilly to be diving in there. I'm glad you mentioned your trip and Ron and Sue's backyard. You made me laugh out loud when you sent me the pictures of what you called moonflowers. Well, I was sort of taken in by Sue, who said, you see these bright yellow flowers? And this is, you know, toward the evening. She said, they're moonflowers. <laughs> and she explained, they only come out at night, right? Yeah. And, and the next day they die. And that's it. One night of blooming and it's all over. 
<laughs> Those, my friend Franklin, are called daylilies. Uh, you wonder why? <laughs> well, uh, because maybe the only last one day. I, I get it. But I still like the name moonflowers. <laughs> well, there, there really are moonflowers. And I sent you a link to give you a bit of a heads up on what they are. Properly, they're called Ipomia alba. So alba means white and Ipomia or Ipomia, depending on how you pronounce it, um, are sometimes called tropical white morning glory or moonflower or moon vine. It's a species of night blooming morning glory. They're native to tropical and subtropical regions of the New World. So, of course, the Americas are the New World. Um, they bloom at night because night flying insects mostly pollinate them. Um, one of the insects that pollinates is the hawk moth. So, the flowers are sensitive to small changes in light so that they are open when these insects are out in the evening. And FYI, both plants and seeds are toxic. Do not eat any part of the plant, especially the seeds. Um, bonus, though, moonflowers are fragrant at night when the flowers open. Okay, hey, that sounds really interesting. I'll check that out myself. All right, I'm kind of watching the clock because I know our main tech guy, Joel, is going to nudge me with a whisper that it's time to take a break. But not before we remind our listeners that because we're still not allowed into the radio station and studio, we can't accept phone calls as we normally would. Yep, that's true. Uh, we're only able to do this show by reading the questions from folks who have sent you an email. And once again, we've got scads of really interesting questions, but we do need more for next week's show. Okay, excellent point. So send your emails to Charlie Dobbin at C dot Dobbin, that's D-O-B-B-I-N at mzmedia.com. Uh, did you hear something from Joel? Uh, yep, I just got a little jog from Joel letting me know <laughs> it's time to let our sponsors like Stoke Seeds to have a few words. So Charlie and I will return in moments here on Zoomer Radio. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, Charlie, time to deal with the emails here. And matter of fact, uh, this email that we received from Gail West, it's a suggestion to uh, Jim Meyer of uh, Kitchener from last week. Remember, he was talking about the cocoa bean mulch? That's right. Uh, anyway, she's... Yeah, oh, sorry, I was just gonna, sorry to interrupt you. I was just going to say, he um, he called to... Sorry, emailed to say he loves cocoa bean mulch and he couldn't find it. He didn't know where to get it. And one of our listeners came back with the answer. I love it. I love it when listeners have tips and tricks and answers to questions. So always, always send them in when you got them. Okay. And here's what Gail uh, passed along. Said, I purchased my uh, mulch from Chocolate FX. That's at 335 Forma Creek Road, St. David's, Ontario. And you can check things out on the website at www.chocolatefx.ca. I won't bother reading all the phone numbers, but you can check that out through the website. And she says, my neighbor visits St. David's, Ontario regularly and picks up my order, which is prepaid and delivers the bags to me. My gardens smell great and look beautiful. Always listen to your show on Saturday morning, and thank you for answering my emails. Well, thank you, Gail, for mm. passing along that really good information. Yes, exactly. All righty. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, question number two coming in. 
And this is from Victor. He says, um, can you please identify this flowering shrub in my yard? It gets lovely pink flowers through the first two to three weeks of June. It has a paper-like bark on the old growth, very bushy, and I keep it trimmed to about two and a half meters high. My wife and I always enjoy your show. Thank you, Victor. So he's obviously sent you some goodies along to take a look at. Oh, gorgeous, gorgeous photos. Thank you for that, Victor. It cheered me right up. And this is one of, actually, I really love this plant. The common name is Beauty Bush. And no question why that is. It is a beautiful shrub. Proper name is Colquitzia with a K. So K-O-L Quitzia, K-W-I-T-Z-I-A. And Amamelis. Amamelis is actually Latin for beautiful. So it's beauty bush. It naturally wants to grow six to ten feet tall and wide. So good for you keeping it trimmed down to about two and a half meters, which as we know is roughly about nine feet. So he it's very smart to keep trimming it as you do because that way once it's finished flowering, do that trimming like you do. And of course, that just sets up lots of new growth and lots of uh, fresh, that fresh growth, of course, will be covered in buds next year, like next spring, to give you that same kind of gorgeous show you've got going on there. And that bark you referred to, it is a member of the honeysuckle family. And if you ever, ever look closely at a honeysuckle shrub or even a honeysuckle vine, you'll see that the bark is very, it's got long strands of peeling bark, very showy, actually considered ornamental in the winter. And I've even had birds uh, back in my last garden, think it was pretty cool stuff to build nests with. So the robins will come in and they'll peel that bark off, those strips of bark, and then take it away for nest building. So honeysuckle plants, un uh, members of the honeysuckle family will always have that peeling bark. Okie dokie. Uh, here's a nice note from Lisa Scannell. I hope I'm pronouncing that name properly. She, her subject says, too big begonia. She says, I have a gorgeous Rex begonia. It's been very happy, even blooming recently. It's one of my favorite house plants, but it's too big now for my space. Can I just cut it back, or would it be better to propagate new, smaller plants? If cut back, what's the best way to do it? I'm afraid of killing it because I adore it so much. Appreciate your help, <laughs> Lisa. Hmm. In Michigan. Yeah. Hey, she sent a photograph. I'm not sure if you saw it, Frank, but it is a stunning plant. It's absolutely gorgeous. And she's right. You know, it, funny. It's very happy, obviously. Uh, it's too big for her space. I think she needs to move and just get a bigger space because it's so gorgeous. I hate to cut it back. But yeah, of course, you can cut it back. And now would be a fine time to do it. Don't be afraid. You will not kill it by cutting it back. Sharp pruners or even a pair of scissors. Just make sure, sure they're sharp. Uh, and then I, I would just go along each of the stems because it's not a completely balanced plant in the photograph you want to make sure that when you do your cutting it ultimately is balanced on the plant stand that it's standing on now so on one side it looks like you're going to have to take off about a foot and the other side you might have to take off a foot and a half but just cut back to a leaf now not just super tight up to the leaf just out by about a millimeter or an, you know a sixteenth of an inch away from one of the leaves and it's at that point where the leaves are there's a little bud that you can't see because it's dormant right where the leaf and the stem come together and that little bud will start to grow after you cut it back. So when you're doing your cutting back, remember, it's going to grow again. So stand back, make sure it's balanced when you're finished doing it and that you're prepared for another whatever, six inches of growth that's going to happen probably this summer. But as well, all that stuff you're cutting off, those are 
Those are what we call tip cuttings. It's soft wood, very easy to root those. Uh, again, you would just uh, keep pieces that are about four to six inches long. So it means you might have to cut off a bit of the bottom compost that and what you're keeping remove the lower two leaves carefully with your scissors and then uh, believe it or not they, they will they will root very easily into a moist media like perlite or you could try them in a glass of water um yeah you can get roots and start new rex begonias and give them away to all your friends well there you go uh, as you're speaking there i'm just thinking about some of the folks listening in and and saying hmm I, I, wish, I wish I could hear that again. You can by listening to podcasts. All you have to do is Google Zoomer Radio, and you'll be immediately given a, a choice to link up with any of our podcasts, including The Garden Show. And that way, uh, as in that uh, question of the chocolate mulch plants where, you know, you get a, a website or a phone number, you can listen to it all over again and take all that information down. So once again, to get to the podcast. Simply Google Zoomer Radio. That'll come up immediately. Go to the Garden Show and pick out any of the shows that we've done now for 13 years. Right, Charlie? Hey, almost. You know what? We're coming up to our 13th anniversary in about ooh, two weeks, I'd say. Yeah, you've got it. Well, you know what? Uh, we have to take a little bit of a break here, but we're going to return, of course, for more of those emails that you've sent to Charlie. And once again, we do appreciate any questions you'll send by. And hopefully uh, you can pop one in the mail or at least the email to charlie that's c.dobbin d-o-b-b-i-n at mzmedia.com and we'll return in just moments here on the garden show daffodils and daisies bluebells and begonias for scythia and foxgloves marigolds magnolia lavender and lupins dahlias delphiniums stalks fox hollyhocks tulips and sweet williams you've picked the right place for everything floral this is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Alrighty, uh, you're listening to The Garden Show, and uh, Charlie on the line here from her lovely spot in uh, Prince Edward County. By the way, we're going to talk a little bit that, about that before the end of the show, Charlie, find out what's going on there. Oh, lots going on at my place. Oh, ton, a ton of stuff, I know. First of all, let's deal with a couple of questions here, like uh, this one from Don and Betty Samus. And she says, hi, Charlie, what's the name of the deer repellent spray you mentioned on your garden show yesterday? That would be June 20th. I was not able to remember the name when I went to write it down. I enjoy your show. Try to listen to it every Saturday morning when I'm home. I always learn something new about gardening. That's uh, from Don Samus, actually. Thank you, Don. Well, there you go, Charlie. All right. Well, there you go. I've got two suggestions. One is go to my website. So that's charliedobbin.com. And under tips, you'll find some pretty amazing tips that various people have shared with me over the years. And one of, them, of the mixtures is to deter deer. And that comes from Sean James, who is a Milton-based gardener extraordinaire. Uh, his, his recipe is mix two eggs, two cups of milk, two tablespoons olive oil, and another two tablespoons of dish soap. Add that whole mixture into two liters of water. A dish of cayenne pepper doesn't hurt. And then mix and pour into a spray bottle. So spray any plants that are susceptible to deer damage until they're dripping. And believe it or not, this mixture, I think it's because of the eggs, will stick onto your plants for as long as a month before you need to spray again. If making your own concoction isn't up your alley, there is a product available. It's uh, on Amazon. I see it's at Home Hardware. And I think I... I picked it up 
picks it up somewhere. Uh, oh, it might have been a TSC. It's called Plant Skid. The website is plantskid.com. So it's the word plant, P-L-A-N-T, and then S as in Sam, K as in kite, Y, D as in Dobbin, and another D as in Dobbin. So plantskid.com. All right. That's good. Uh, oh, this this is very appropriate. As we're recording this show, as a matter of fact, uh, last Monday, uh, Shirley has invited all her gals that she meets normally on Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays uh, for coffee early in the morning. Uh, but, of course, things have been uh, thrown upside down with uh, the COVID-19 situation. So this morning, she's welcomed a whole bunch of them. They're all self-distancing out there around the picnic table. Uh, and I just went out just before going on the air here, and... Uh, she was mad as hops. Shirley was swearing at chipmunks. <laughs> she had some pe- peanuts out there, and the little rascals were right up there on the table eating the out of the bowl in front of everybody. And God, you should have seen Shirley. She was she <laughs> was really mad. Anyway, I get I get a note here, uh, and, and you've made a comment that this one's laugh out loud from Maureen Boyce. She says, good morning, Charlie. I have a simple solution to discourage those rascal squirrels from digging in our planters. Tea leaves, loose tea leaves or the tea bag. After enjoying your cup of tea, bury them in the pots. The squirrels do not like the smell. Also acts as a fertilizer. My maternal grandmother always uh, out, put tea out in her plants and she had the most amazing house plants. Hmm. My sister told me about this easy remedy. Seems to be working at least so far, but squirrels are very ingenious. Watch them rob my bird feeders. It's hilarious. One hangs upside down clinging to the bird feeder by his toes. <laughs> Always enjoy our show and this week was especially entertaining. We had home invasions by chipmunks <laughs> transparent uh, Transpassing or trespassing squirrels, pardon me, and apple trees that need to be caned so they'd behave and bear fruit. I hope Alvin the chipmunk has left Frank's home. Love you both, Maureen in North York. Well, no, that little rascal, he Alvin, he's still kicking around here, that's for sure. Uh, okay, that note, uh, did you want to comment on that, Charlie? Nope, nope, it's all good. And uh, thank you for that, Maureen. She, she does have some pretty pleasant notes, I, I enjoy yeah. reading them. Indeed. Okay. Hey, let's go international on this next one from Dave Lasher of Bloomfield, New York. Question about purslane. Uh, Greetings, Charlie. Hope you can help me again. I'm wondering just what to do with this wild purslane I have uh, growing in my garden. I don't know how it got started, but I noticed it last year and it's back again. I've heard it is edible, but it depends on just what form you have growing. Mine's a milky sap, if broken open. Also, because it's so invasive, I've heard suggestions to just let it go as it works as a ground cover, but remove it from around my desired plants. This is a vegetable garden, if it matters, and I'm hoping you say let it go because it's (laughs) a beggar to try and get rid of. I value your opinion. Look forward to hearing back from you, Dave Lasher out of uh, Bloomfield, New York. So it's a kind of a timely question. Thanks for that, Dave. There's purslane everywhere this year. I don't, I don't know. It seems to be the year of the purslane. So proper name, I mean, common name is purslane. Proper name is, it's a portulaca. So portulaca oleraceae. It is an annual plant. It is a succulent. So it's got a very thick 
leaves and thick stem that, you know, um, whenever we see those thick uh, sort of shiny um, leaves and stems on plants, we know that this is a plant that's able to hold and store water in its foliage and in its stems. So it's a pretty good one in, in hot, dry situations. It's very drought tolerant. Um, you'll know that you've got, I mean, you're absolutely right, Dave, there are a number of uh, sort of species of portulaca, but the one that it's very common, and I'm sure it's the one you've got, the stems are mostly prostrate, which means they're lying on the ground, though they can mound up on top of itself, up to 16 inches tall. There's yellow flowers that open during the sunny mornings for only a few hours. Um, and believe it or not, there are fossil records of this plant dating back to the 7th century BC. So this plant has been around for a very long time, unchanged. Now those fossils, of course, are in Europe. And because purslane is distributed everywhere in the world, nobody really knows where it originated, this plant originated from. Because that's always one of the interesting things with plants is, where's that plant from originally? And this is one we just really don't know. It is well known for healing properties, uh, very commonly eaten raw in salads. It can be cooked up like spinach. All parts are edible, stems, leaves, flowers, no worries. Uh, and in terms of leaving it, you know, it does provide a good ground cover. It does also have deep roots, which is that why it's so hard to get it out. Uh, pull out. So the deep roots can be excellent because they bring moisture up to the surface and nutrients for the other plants in your vegetable garden. So it's like, it's not, it's not a bad, bad plant to leave. Uh, obviously you can step on it, let it grow in the, in the walkways, but do not let it grow right up against your chosen plants because it will obviously steal all the moisture and nutrients from your corn and beans and tomatoes. But yeah, I'd leave it. I wouldn't worry about it at all. And if you're hungry when you're out in the garden, just take off a few leaves and chow down. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I'm sure he's so happy with that answer. Hey, My gosh. Well, you know, and that's what we were doing at Gary Tebow's farm, right? We were out, well, Gary and his wife wrote, yeah. uh, they, they have a garden of traditional uh, plants that, this is for the television show. So our guest for the first episode was Gary Tebow at his farm. And he's growing onions and carrots and potatoes and things that he can store for the winter or he can can. And again, you know, uh, process and put away for winter food. But in between all those weeds that are growing in the walkways, that's lunch. <laughs> oh, right, yo. Hey, you know, this would be a darn good time, I think, uh, just to take a break from the questions for a moment and uh, deal with what's happening at your place. I'm dying to know what sort of action is going on there in Prince Edward County. Well, you know the story. I, I We built a brand new custom house on a on a lot that's almost two acres in size. And uh, we do have bush at the back, but otherwise it's just a big long gravel driveway and a wasteland of builder, you know, compacted fill. I don't even want to call it soil. So the, it's all started, started last week actually. Um, the hardscaper company came in and they've put in a brand new walkway, which is lovely compared to what we had. It's all very grand now. And also a walkway down the side of the garage. And now they're working on a big patio out back. And then beyond the patio, there's going to be raised gardens and a fire pit. So using the raised gardens only two feet high. So it makes kind of a sitting ledge around two sides of the fire pit. And it also gives me an immediate place where I can plant some stuff as soon as this is built. You know, I've got tomatoes and kale and beans and all kinds of things I want to get into those raised beds because I'm still, it's going to be another month or so before I'm in any position to plant anything here on the property. We've got a lot of work to do. 
And of course, when you do get that stuff planted and uh, situated the way you want, uh, I know you'll be taking pictures and putting on your website, hopefully. Absolutely. And probably and likely, again, my social media star will look after getting them out on Instagram. But but you're oh, right. right. We need some befores and afters on the website. <laughs> OK, thanks in advance then to your daughter, Sydney. Uh, we got a note here from Linda from Milton says, hi, Charlie. My mom, Jean, listens to your show every week and suggested I contact you. I was hoping you could help me identify this house plant and help me save it. I have had it for almost 30 years, but over the last few years, it's failed to thrive, and in the last couple of months, the stems turned black, woody, and the plant is dying. I took the last live cuttings in an effort to regenerate what was left alive. I've attached three pictures, one taken a few years ago when it flowered, another in a rangy phase, and the last picture of what's left. Now, the plant originated from my uh, grandmother over 50 years ago. Wow. So I'm very sad to see it dying away. Any help you can uh, provide would be greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, Linda from Milton. So this is the begonia show, obviously. That is a Rex begonia. And if you recall, just a few minutes ago, we were answering a question from Lisa. Sc- well, we're not sure how to pronounce her last name. Scannell, Scanelli. Uh, and she's got a Rex begonia that's out of control. It's so happy. <laughs> so hers is, hers is too big and she wants to cut it all down and here we have a problem with Linda having trouble growing a a begonia so let me just quickly sum up the secrets of success and of course uh, Linda you can always do a little um, research yourself so it is a a Rex begonia what does it want it wants temperatures generally speaking year-round of average warmth Uh, in the winter it could be cooler down to 55 degrees Fahrenheit it wants bright light avoid direct sunshine a few hours of morning or evening sun in winter are beneficial, but of course in summer, keep the plant away from the windows, just let it be bright. Um, Water. Now the compost should be kept moist from spring until autumn, but allow the surface to dry out slightly between waterings and then water sparingly in winter. That's one of the things we we tend to do is we water on the calendar year round and it doesn't work. You can't water every Sunday and expect that all your plants always need water every Sunday. So winter watering, we typically water less often and that's because plants aren't growing as much, right? They're just not growing, they're not using the water. So feel the soil before you water. Um, Now they do like a humid environment so whatever you can do, uh, you can mist, you can put um, a pebble tray beneath the pot, the, the pot. so that's a, a tray of any kind, it could be a cookie sheet with gravel in it and water in the gravel, and then the begonia sits on top of the gravel, not in the water, but always has water evaporating around it, and that can really help uh, raise the humidity. Do not um, do any repotting until roots are growing out the bottom of the pots. And then, of course, that happens only in spring. We repot in spring because plants can handle the stress of what just happened to them when they got repotted. So spring is always the best time for repotting. And then, um, as you, she did, you know, as Linda did, she took some cuttings. So that's great. And they do root fairly easily. So, you know, when they're all rooted up, make sure you've got a fresh, sterile, uh, container soil, whether it's a, usually it's a soilless mix, make sure it's moist and begonias because they are subject to rot. Always, I I always choose if I can to plant begonias into clay pots. So if you can get yourself a clay pot, terracotta pot, use that when you're potting this plant up and good luck with that. 
Yes, absolutely. Okay, uh, we're up to our next little break here on The Garden Show. And uh, Charlie Dobbin and yours truly, Frank Proctor, will return in moments here on Zuma Radio. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zuma Radio. All right, Charlie, uh, have a nice note here from Ina Eisen. Uh, Dear Charlie and Frank, listen to your show every week and have even rescheduled my daily walk with a neighbor in a, to an earlier time in order to be back in time for the show. I just enjoy your show so much and learn a lot. My question is, we have had a much-needed rain this week, and I'm very happy for it, but my uh, dictomious, oh, I'm, I'm, is that right? Thank, dictamnus plant, thank you. It's been damaged badly. It's a glorious 10-year-old plant and was in full bloom. Now about a third of the stems have snapped around six inches from the ground. I started to cut them off completely, but then questioned myself if I should have staked them instead. So what are your thoughts? She sent you some uh, photos. So that's from uh, Ina Eisen from Fergus. Yeah. So she's right. It is a dictamnus alba is the proper name. A common name is gas plant or dittany, believe it or not. So... I, like, I see the problem, definitely the whole thing flopped over, certain amount of wind, certain amount of moisture, it was tall, it was ready, you know, beautifully flowering. Um, in the right conditions, so if it's in full sun, uh, it will grow up to two feet tall, it's got a sort of a lemon fragrance uh, to it, it's a very showy plant, it's a lovely plant. Um, it could be that... Like it wants an evenly moist soil. It wants a real humusy, you know, high level of organic matter kind of soil. But of course, it does not want to be soggy. It will tolerate drought once established. And clearly, this is an established plant. It has been there for a number of years. But whether to stake it or not, I'm just not a big fan of staking things. I would do what you, what your impulse told you, which was to cut back the damaged stems this year. Uh, and next year, try and, and keep it shorter. And the way you're going to keep it shorter is by be very sparing with your watering and don't fertilize it next spring. Try and avoid fertilizer. I mean, obviously keep the soil, you know, nice and healthy. If you're adding compost, I would definitely continue to do that. But, but no miracle grow or anything like that on a plant like this because it's just going to grow tall it's going to have very soft growth and then it's all going to flop over in a big wind or a big rain um one thing that the reason it's called gas plant you might like this frank it it the reason it's called that is because the flowers make this um a flammable oil that's emitted from the flowers and the seed pods. So on a, on a night when there's no wind and you're outside and you want to have some fun, take some matches and just light a match near the flower or near a seed pod and you'll get a whole big vapor burn happening. It'll go whoosh right in front of your, your very eyes. Now it's just tiny and it's short and it doesn't harm the plant at all, but it is kind of fun. So that's, that's where the common name gas plant comes from. Okay, I, I'm uh, almost hesitant to say that reminds me of the blue flame uh, of years ago, <laughs> Boy Scouts. <laughs> oh, anyway, I know what you're uh, about. Oh, yes. Oh, all yeah. right, all right. That's yes, a boy so a, thing. <laughs> a, bit of an, a bit of an asinine comment. Exactly. Okay. Uh, exactly. <laughs> all right, we're on to a question here from Etta Engel. She mm-hmm. says, help, 
My milkweed plants have these on the top, so she sent a picture to you, obviously. I've sprayed, as you uh, can see, the black dead ones. These yellow things keep coming back. Is there anything other than safer soap that I can use? It was effective on my oleander, but I cannot get rid of them on the milkweed, and they continue to spread. I need them safe for the monarch butterflies. Thanks for your show, Hedda. Okay, Etta, that's a really, really good and interesting question. The photos that Etta sent are of a milkweed, and it's just starting to flower, and it is absolutely coated in aphids. And as Etta noticed, noticed, the aphids come in just about every color of the rainbow. They can be green, they can be black, they can be yellow. And she mentioned she had them on her oleander, so probably the because I always they're always yellow for some reason on oleanders. Um, and yes, she wants to keep the milkweed safe for the monarchs. But you got to remember that if you spray any pesticide on the milkweed plant to kill the insects that you don't want, you will inadvertently kill the insects you do want. So remember, monarch butterfly larvae are insects too. So when you get out there with your safer soap and you start spraying to kill aphids, which is fine, that's an option, you are could be killing monarch larvae at the same time. So if you want to keep your, your milkweed safe for just the monarch larvae and you want to keep all the other insects away, use water only. Just turn on your hose, but get a real sharp you know, um, sort of jet of water spray onto those milkweed and blow those aphids off or go in there with your fingers and just rub your fingers up and down and squish the um, they will your fingers will get a bit yucky but the because um, the insects are full of honeydew they they suck uh, juices out of the plant but um, I'm surprised there's that many aphids but boy you got you do you've got quite an infestation but but don't be spraying pesticides on milkweed if you want monarchs to live there as well all right. Okay. Uh, I'm going to, uh, because of time constraints in this particular segment, jump to the next question from Joan Rogers. And she says, how do I control leaf miner in my beets and Swiss chard? Huh. Nice short question with a long answer. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh. <laughs> I'm kidding. All right. I'll go fast. All right. So leaf miners. Leaf miners are an insect. And in this case, it's the female leaf miners that lay eggs on the leaves of, in, in this case, we've got them laying the eggs on beets and Swiss chard. They're famous for this. Uh, then once the eggs hatch, the larvae, which are little tiny, tiny caterpillars, they travel into, like they burrow into the leaf between the leaf tissue. So the upper surface and the lower surface of a leaf is mined out by insects. And it's really distinctive trails are left. Like you can look at the leaf and see where the insects have mined out the, the tissue between, like I say, the upper and lower tissue, um, levels of the, the leaf. So, and you can also see where they've pooped. So you can see the insect, you can see the insect getting bigger and bigger as it moves through, and you can see it leaves behind little um just um dust of what we call frass so here's your here's your options and how to protect in the future number one row covers or an insect barrier netting so get that over top of your your swiss chard your beets anything that's uh, susceptible to leaf miners and get that done early in the season before the leaf miners have laid their eggs number two when you see like look go look remove the eggs before they hatch before the larvae get 
inside the leaves. Number three, once you do see larvae inside the leaves, like I said, it's quite obvious, squash them. You don't have to take the leaf off, just squish between your thumb and your finger the, the larva that's inside. If the leaves are severely damaged, cut out the damaged leaves, remove them from the property because the larvae are still inside there. Uh, and then also look for the eggs on the underside of the leaves at any time. And again, squish uh, as appropriate to uh, keep those off the plant and keep them from destroying the plants. Good luck with that. Okay, thank you very much, Charlie. And we'll return in just moments. Uh, in fact, we'll be dealing with a question sent in from Z, who lives in Port Dover. That's coming up next here on The Garden Show. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, okay, Charlie, uh, have a neat note here from Z, who lives in Port Dover. She says, uh, my concerns are with my lilac tree. Now, the first picture in this email was taken five years ago with avid uh, gardeners Rosa and Carmilla. For the past two years, the lilac has had the most, uh, a handful of, at most, a handful of blooms. The leaves themselves look healthy. However, when the tree starts to form blooming buds, they turn gray, brown, and don't flower. The rose bush beneath still looks healthy. Should I be feeding the lilac with a compost tea, food, or other nutrient? Both bushes have grown a lot in the past few years. Should I prune the lilac? And if so, what time of year would be best. Thanks for your time. I love your show, says Z. Well, thank you, Z. Yeah, thank you. And and those avid gardeners, Rosa and Carmela, are two little puppies in the out in the garden, just in oh, case anybody's okay. wondering. <laughs> so, all right. And the first picture, the, the puppies are there, and the, the lilac is covered in flowers. And then the next images are just a green plant. So... I'm thinking, Z, that what's going on there is you're feeding and fertilizing a lot and you're uh, supporting a lot of green growth. So you're ending up with a lot of green leaves and you're not ending up with a lot of flowers. And keep in mind, for many plants, flowers are... Are we see the most flowers when a plant is under stress? Uh, we, we sort of rationalize that by saying, well, the plant is under stress. It thinks it might not survive. Therefore, it must produce flowers because flowers lead to seeds and seeds are a way of maintaining one's DNA. So I think what you need to do is get out your pruners. You do need to do some pruning, some thinning, open that plant up a bit. It is just a bushy mass. So get some air, get some sun, you know, really stand back. Remember the natural form of a lilac is in the shape of a, the letter V uh, or a vase shape. So narrow at the bottom, wider at the top. So you're going to need to remove growth. The best time to do that pruning is right after it flowers. In your case, you haven't seen flowers, but I'm sure you there's lilacs in the neighborhood. Um, when it's really hot, I wouldn't do any pruning to anything. Uh, generally, normally, June is a is an okay time to do pruning, but we've had some a very hot June, so you'll have to kind of watch your temperatures and uh, you know rain, etc. But if you can prune, I would this like now. But if you can't because it's too hot, wait and do it in September. And like I said, take out as much as a third of that plant. In the spring, okay. So, no, I was just going to say, in the spring, feeding with some compost is okay. Forget any of the synthetic, uh, you know, miracle grows, etc. You just don't want to 
pump too much fertilizer, but you want to maintain good soil. So get some, make some homemade compost or buy composted manure. Get a half inch around both the rose and the lilac in the spring. And then if you want to water with compost tea, sure, do that every four weeks, right up until the end of July, every spring and summer. And good luck with that. Okay. I'm just sitting here thinking uh, about the advancement in technology in, say, the last 15, 20 years. Uh, years ago, if uh, folks sent you a question regarding a plant or whatever, they couldn't include an email, which is, I think, for you, so darned important, right? Well, yeah, and photos. Like you're, yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. Well, and, he, and normally, you and I do the radio show live, and it's a phone-in show. But pe- yeah. people are really taking advantage of this email opportunity because they're on the radio when we're live on the phone, they have to explain it to me. Whereas this way, yes. they can send me photos and say, okay, here's my problem, or what's this plant, or you know, what's this insect? So it, there's no question. And this email um, sort of system we got running is a pretty good one in terms of being, I think, effective and giving the you know giving, yeah. give, giving good answers. And as a matter of fact, a good example of that, <laughs> a note from John Brown, who sends you a mystery flower, says, Hi, Charlie, enjoy your show. Any idea what the attached flower is? It's the star attraction of our front garden. <laughs> love it. I love it. See, there you go. There's an example right there. Okay, so I'm going to give you the name and you're going to say, oh, I understand why. The common name is Goat's Beard. And did you see the picture, Frank? It's just a, it's like, no, I didn't. It's a, it's a herbaceous perennial. So it's a perennial that grows up every spring and summer. And actually it grows quite large, up to five feet tall. And it's this big bush. It gets these, you know, masses of white flowers. The proper name is Aruncus dioicus. So Aruncus dioicus or goat's beard looks amazing all sort of spring, summer, fall. And then we get frost. And the whole thing disappears. You just cut it right down. Uh, There's nothing there in the winter because it goes dormant and then comes back up the following spring. So very, very uh, sweet plant. And you know what's another good thing about this plant, which I'm going to keep in the back of my mind, is it is deer resistant. So we like deer resistant plants when we live in deer country. (laughs) Okay. Hey, you know, we have time for, I believe, one more question Mm -hmm. here. Uh, Ann Ottaway says, Charlie, I need some help in what to do with my orchid. I usually kill them, but I've had this for two or three years and it's thriving. This is the fourth blooming I've got from it, but it's getting overwhelming. I'm assuming those are roots growing out from it. Can I divide it or something? I I don't want to kill it because, as you can see, it's beautiful. Any advice uh, would... uh, it would be appreciated. I have it in the north window and water periodically with Miracle Grow. And that is one happy looking orchid. And sent some photographs. It is, it's just full of leaves and flowers and roots, no question. And even a little baby orchid has started to grow at the bottom, uh, which could be separated and severed and start a new plant. But you know what you're going to have to do in? No, don't be trimming any roots off. Don't even think about trying to divide it. Best thing you can do is get a, a proper orchid pot, a bigger pot, uh, and some bark and repot it into a bigger, bigger pot. And when you're doing 
doing that, you can uh, sever that little baby and put it into a small pot and start it separate from the mother plant. But uh, don't, uh, don't, you know, I love it when your biggest problem is that the plant is growing too much. <laughs> it's too big. It's too happy. Yeah. So it's <laughs> too successful. <laughs> exactly. That's a great story. I love it. And it's a beautiful plant. So keep doing whatever you're doing, but consider a bigger pot so that this plant can really, really shine. Oh, I'm looking at the clock and I can't believe it, Charlie. We're at the oh. checkout counter and oh. <laughs> uh, have to wave bye-bye to Joel and, and the rest uh. of the folks here. But gee, what a, what the marvelous question sent along today. Exactly. And I hope the people will keep sending them to c.dobbin at mzmedia.com. You got Thanks, it. Frank. Thank you, Thanks, Frank. Thank you, Charlie. Thanks, Joel. Thanks to all our great questions. And I'll see you all again next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.